There is one clear call to action in the Bible we can all agree upon. We need to pray. It is something almost all of us do every single day, but have we learned to do it right? Do we talk to God about the things He wants us to go over with Him? We are going to open the scriptures and allow the Lord Jesus to teach us to do the one thing that can keep us from fainting with fear. Let's join the discussion circle with our study leader, Dave Wurtson. The first thing that we need to do in light of the fact that the end of all things is near is therefore be clear-minded. In other words, don't be terrorized. Don't be scared out of your wits. Instead, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. In these last days, and it doesn't make any difference whether you're post-trib, mid-trib, partial-trib, pre-rap-trib, uh, whatever trib you want to be, it's very important to understand that we are under a mandate to pray. You are the ones that are gifted to minister, that you can reach unbelievers, you can build up believers, you can serve, you're gifted to serve. And First Peter talks about it. If you have a speaking gift, then do it like you're speaking the very word of God. If you have a serving gift, then do it with all the might, with all the power that God can give. Do you know what makes that all work together? You know what makes that fly? It's when we pray. It's when we pray. And so what I'd like to do over the next several weeks is Jonathan talked to me several months ago about, Dad, why don't you talk about praying? Why don't you share with us from the scripture about prayer? That'd be a good break from some of the book studies. Let's really learn to pray as a group. It's very interesting. Have you noticed that there's really no atheists or agnostics in foxholes? Everybody prays. Everybody prays. You know, everyone gets moved to prayer. I turn on the news Wednesday night, 10 o'clock, ABC. I couldn't believe it. They had a service. I mean, they had so many different robes up front. It looked like a, a costume convention. We had the Baha'is. We had some Jewish rabbis. We had some Roman Catholic priests. There were some Protestant ministers there. Uh, there were some Islamic people there. All different brands and shapes. They were having an interdenominational service to pray for peace. And I couldn't help but think, what does God in heaven, what does the living God in heaven think about all this conversation directed towards himself? How does he feel about it? Does he listen? You know, who captures his ear and who doesn't? And there's some real loaded things along those lines, but so many people are doing it. You know, like prayer is really in. And so it raises the issue, what about all this conversation directed towards him? How do we know he hears us? What does the Bible teach us about how to pray? What we're going to do is to take a very familiar passage that I've even taught you, but what I didn't realize is that you can take this pattern of prayer and you can take all the prayers of the New Testament and all the prayers of the New Testament will relate to this pattern of prayer. I want you to open to begin with this morning to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And there we have the question raised. The Lord Jesus was praying in Luke chapter 11. That's the only way you can teach people to pray is to be an example of prayer. One day, Jesus was praying. Daddies, if you want to teach your sons and daughters to pray, what do you need to do? You want to teach your sons and daughters to pray, what do you need to do? Pray. You know, I will ever be thankful, eternally thankful. One of the strongest images, and I've shared it with a lot of you in the past, one of the strongest images that I have of my dad, whenever I close my eyes and think of my dad as a kid, 
One of the strongest images I have is that early in the morning, I would get up and I would tiptoe downstairs from the attic where I lived and I would walk about five feet and open my dad's study door. And the image I have of my dad is with a big red Schofield Bible because the Bible should be red, he would tell me. And he was all underlined. He also believed you needed to mark the Bible in red. He used one of those felt-tip red pens. And he would have little papers all over the place. My dad used napkins and little pieces of paper. And he would have these all tucked into his Bible. And every single day of the week, there was his prayer list. And that's some of the earliest images of my dad down on his knees with his face in that Bible, beginning the day, talking to God. Now, where did he learn to do that? From his Savior. You see, it says, while Jesus was praying. In fact, the book of Luke emphasizes the prayer life of the Lord Jesus. Before the Lord chooses the disciples, he prays all night long. Here we have him again, pray. Before the transfiguration, he's praying. Luke underlines the prayer life of Jesus Christ. And I believe that there's a tremendous potential for godliness if we get a hold of what it really means to pray. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray by his example. When he had finished, so they were polite. When he was finished, when Jesus had finished praying, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples to pray. So John the Baptist was a good example of praying as well. So we have the disciples of Jesus coming to their master saying, teach us to pray. And that's what I'd like us to do for the next several weeks. I'd like us to come to the Lord Jesus in what better place? I don't know. How could I ever tell you who God listens to and who he doesn't? How could I ever tell you what you should talk about with God? How could I ever tell you what he wants to listen to? Who could better teach you than the Lord Jesus Christ? I want you to begin to focus about this distinctiveness and the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. Because that becomes very important in this praying business. Jesus, above all others, can teach us how to pray. In fact, you already have the outline of Jesus' teaching ministry already down. You've already memorized. We are going to use as an outline something that you've already memorized. In fact, you have repeated it over and over and over again. You repeat it at the end of weddings sometimes. Some of you went to churches where you repeated it every single Sunday. Do these words sound familiar? Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Join with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And you all have different versions so that you can get a little bit confused. No matter which tradition you're from. How many of you have ever said that? Repeat it before. Don't forget, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us, right? You know, the tragedy of that prayer is that for a lot of us, it has become just the opposite from what the Lord Jesus wanted it to become. You see, for a lot of people, the Lord's Prayer, in fact, I have done weddings, for example, where the people wanted to end with the Lord's Prayer, and yet they really didn't know Christ in a personal way. It was a nice religious feel to the service, kind of like an art form that we would add to the service. What I want you to understand is that the Lord's Prayer is really a pattern prayer which teaches us to pray. And we're going to begin this morning by just looking at the address. You know, if you're going to learn how to pray, if you're going to learn how to approach the throne room of God, 
addresses are very, very important. In fact, if you were going to come in and, and meet the Queen of England, I guarantee you, if you were going to go in and have an audience with the Queen of England, that you would be given an, a, probably a study sheet for you to memorize about how you should address them and what you should do. And when we think about praying, we're thinking about approaching not just a, a measly Queen of England or a King of England. We're not talking about kind of a comic series. We're not talking about a human king. We're talking about addressing the Lord God of heaven. Now, in the Lord's Prayer, we're so used to saying, Our Father who art in heaven, that we don't stop and think about what those words mean. And I want to begin by saying this. How do you know that God is your Father? You see, if you walk into my house and say, Hi, Dad, to my dad, I'm not going to like it. You don't have the right to do that. I'm not going to like it. Because he isn't your dad. He's my dad. I was born into his family. Not everyone has the right. You know, you can call him Uncle Jack, but don't call him Dad. You see what I'm saying? And yet when it comes to God, there's this business of our Father, and He's everybody's Father. Now I want to begin by saying this. In the New Testament, there is a sense in which God is everyone's Father. Because the idea of Father can be used of the Creator. The Father that generated all things. And so there is a sense in the Scripture, in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that God is all of our Father in the sense that He is our Creator. Like Ephesians will talk about, He is the Father of all things. And so there is that sense in which all of us as human beings have the right to claim Him as our Father in the sense that He is our Creator. That's why the atheist or the agnostic in the foxhole cries out, Oh God! Why do they pray like that? Because the image of God can't be eradicated in mankind. It's imprinted on our heart, and so that we just thrust forth, Oh God, when we're in trouble. We curse Him when, when we're not under pressure. We pray to Him when we're under pressure. And that's what the Scripture is saying in the sense that it's imprinted on our life, that all of us can call God our Father. But I want to get into something really controversial, because Jesus talked to a group of people who thought they had a special relationship with God. They thought they could say, Our Father, the way it begins the Lord's Prayer in Matthew. In Matthew, it begins during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, this is how you should pray, Our Father. And this group of religious leaders thought, we can claim God as our Father, we can call Him Our Father. In fact, they got furious with Jesus because He debated them about this point. Now it all began, the conflict began with John the Baptist. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 3, verse 9. John the Baptist initiated Jesus' problem with the religious leaders of his day. Matthew chapter 3. You see, John the Baptist was down there by the Jordan River preaching, and he was like an evangelist that suddenly got a lot of media attention, and everybody started going down to visit John the Baptist. They'd walk 30 miles down from Jerusalem, out into the wilderness... And they would listen to John. In fact, look at the way John was dressed. He didn't wear three-piece suits. And he didn't uh, you know, look like a used car salesman or something like that. Look what he looked like. It says there in verse uh, 4, John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. I mean, this guy was, a, was a, you know, kind of like a mountain man. People went out to him from Jerusalem and from all Judea, the whole region of the Jordan. What were they doing? They were confessing their sins. This man moved people 
to get honest with God and to go to have integrity with God and to go open with God and to tell openly what they were doing to break God's law. And one of the ways they did this is they were baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. In verse 7, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Man, this guy really went to a Dale Carnegie course, didn't he? Most of the time, you know, when evangelists are starting out and the religious leaders start to get into him and start to respond to him and, you, you know, you start out preaching in the streets and then a great religious leader invites you to preach in his cathedral, most of us would, kind of, you know, kind of be enamored by that. John the Baptist wasn't like that at all. He's one of those rare people that never deal with the fluff. You know what I mean by that? There's so much fluff in human existence. So much fluff in politics, so much fluff in business, so much surface stuff. John the Baptist never dealt with any of that. Never dealt with the fluff. You know, I remember one of my friends that used to play in the Marine Band. He played almost every night in the White House. And he remembers playing one night, and the first lady at that time, I, you can try to guess who it is, I'm not going to tell you. But the first lady at that time was just immediately dressed and just the picture hostess. What every one of you women would imagine being, this lady just went from one guest to another. She was gracious, she was kind, and she was just saying to every one of these people, so glad to have you there. She closed the door. The Marine closed the door as the last guest left. And she just cussed and said, boy, I'm glad those blankety-blank people are gone. What was going on? It was fluff. All of you with fluff, day in and day out. One of the things that God is calling us to as believers, and John the Baptist is a great illustration of this, is there's no veneer with John. There's no veneer with Christ. And I want to pray that there will stop being a veneer with every one of you and with me. That's what John is doing. You see, John is no fluff, no veneer. He looks at these religious leaders and he goes right to their heart and he says, you brood of vipers. He goes on to say, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, and here's where he puts his finger on the problem. Don't think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now what's going on here? These were religious gods. We're talking about praying. If, if you wanted to know some really skillful prayers in the first centuries, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were your prayers. They were the ones that would pray before the football games, you know, the, the Joe Reverend that was going to pray. These were the prayers in the, in the congregation. And everyone looked up to them for that. What were they proud about? They were proud of the fact that they were children of Abraham. And in this context, they were Jewish people. But I think we need to be very, very careful that we don't just dump upon the Jewish traditions and we don't open our hearts to how we do exactly the same thing. You see, what these men were into was the pride of religion. It would come across in a modern culture with us saying, well, we're a member of the so-and-so church. And for me to say, well, I am the reverend, I am the pastor that's been ordained by so-and-so church. And we begin to build up these quote-quote religious traditions. And we become proud of that association. And what that starts to do is to start to produce fluff and veneer in prayer. And there's no genuine contact. There's no real closeness. 
And John the Baptist loved these religious leaders enough that he wouldn't play their game. He wouldn't relate to them as Dr. So-and-so and, and, you, and you have such a great spiritual life. He went right to the center of their personality and said, you need to change deep in your heart. And you are prideful about your religious affiliation. You are prideful that you're a member of a particular religious group. And John said, God isn't concerned about that. Because God wants people that love him from their hearts. Now Jesus continued this debate. John started it. Jesus brought it to great culmination. In fact, it's the antagonism between these two groups. John the Baptist and Jesus Christ that are calling even the religious leaders to genuineness, authenticity, against religious pride, pride of association, being a member of this certain religious group. Jesus and John called these religious leaders to a genuine, authentic relationship with God. And both of them lost their lives for that call. It intensifies. Look what happens. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And Jesus says this. You can see Jesus coming out of the same vein as John the Baptist. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Notice it's not everyone. Jesus is saying this is at the culmination of the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. We were never close. We never had a genuine, intimate relationship. It was all just fluff. It was all just words. Away from me, you evildoers. Turning your Bibles over to uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Matthew 15, 1 through 9. Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus. This is verse 1 of chapter 15. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Some of you might have heard a question like this. Why don't you guys keep the tradition of the elders? You guys don't have Sunday school? You don't have a regular Sunday school for adults? How could you ever be a conservative theological church? You actually had a play Sunday morning before Christmas? You call that preaching? And on and on I can go. Every person that's here needs to be touched with reality, with love, with the presence of Christ in our life. Because we're not just going through motions today. That's what these Pharisees had trouble with. And they condemned. Hey, that's not what I heard in my tradition. And I don't care whether the Bible teaches that. It's against what I heard in my tradition, and that's what I'm going to believe. That's hard to handle. And that's what's going on in this text. These Pharisees were saying, your disciples aren't keeping the tradition of the elders. They don't wash their hands right. They eat before they pull up their sleeves and wash up. In fact, I've shared with you in the past, I can read to you in the mission. I could have brought it today. There's a whole page after page of cleansing rules and regulations and how far up your elbows and how much, exactly how much water to pour over your wrists so that they'll be clean. Very intricate. Religion always gets really intricate, always into the details. And these Pharisees are saying, you know, why don't your disciples keep this? Now notice what Jesus says. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? 
God said, honor your father and your mother. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might have otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to the Lord. Korban meant a gift devoted to the Lord. He is not honoring his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he said, these people will honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. What is Jesus hitting these religious leaders with? You see, they were all uptight about whether you washed your hands a certain way, but you know what they did? When it came to offerings, what they told you was, you see, in the Old Testament it says that we needed to honor our fathers and mothers. As I look around this room, a lot of you have done that. Really intensely giving yourself to the care of your parents. And what the scripture is saying is that parents should be honored. They raise us. They meet our needs. As they become old and they become weak, they should feel safe and secure because we care as children. And we minister to them. And we support them if there's that need. That's what the Old Testament, that was the intent of it. Honor your father and your mother. Men, treat him with importance. Don't ever treat him lightly. What did they do in the old, what did they do by the time Jesus came? The Pharisees and religious leaders said, well, if you'll devote your money to the temple, and it was kind of like a loan with interest and stuff, if you'll use your money to support the temple, then you don't have to use it to meet the needs of your parents. And it was kind of like, you know, this is the latest fundraising technique. You know, you don't have to take care of aged parents, give your money to the church, quote, quote, and God will kind of forget about the fact that we need to honor our parents. And you see how we can kind of use religion to get by some of the really deep, personal, honest commitments that we really should make, which is true love? And Jesus cut through all of that, cut through all that malarkey, cut through all that rationalization, and said, God said, honor your parents. You need to think about how you authentically do that in your situation. And don't use religion to buy God off. It doesn't make a difference how much money you give to the temple. It'll never change God's heart on honor your father and your mother. That's what's going on. So Jesus joined with John the Baptist in saying, people, prayer is not religion. It's not tradition. It's not just going through forms. It's got to come from the heart. A heart that is ethically relating to God. A heart that beats for God. That's what Jesus and John are wrestling with these religious leaders. Some of the religious leaders listened. Nicodemus was one. Nicodemus listened and, and responded to what Jesus and John were saying. As we look at Jesus' exposure to this religious pride, I just remember Luke chapter 15. What I'm trying to do is to bring together these ideas to show you how as we cut across sections through the New Testament, how these things come together. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Now, all of you have focused in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 on who? Y'all focus on the brother who is... Well, why do we call it the story of the prodigal son? How many of you have ever heard of the story of the self-righteous son? Anybody ever heard of, you know, the title, the famous story of Jesus Christ that's only in the Gospel of Luke, the story of the self-righteous son? Or how many of you have ever heard of the story of the forgiving, gracious father? No, we always call it the, when I mention it to you, the prodigal son. How many of you know this story of the prodigal son? You all do, right? Remember the younger brother came to his dad and said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Wish you were dead right now. So just flip over and pretend you're dead and give me the money. It's a really nice thing for his son to do. His father says, okay, you're of age, give him the money. 
and sends his son out. His son goes to a far country and just spills all the money. Just spends it on riotous living. Goes to Las Vegas, sleeps with all the women he can find, parties with his friends, gambles all his money away. And then he ends up in the pig slop. In fact, the people he's living with are so cruel, they won't even let him eat the stuff that he feeds to the pigs. So he's debating. You know, he really wants to eat the stuff, but he's got to give it to the pigs. The guy's starving to death. And then he remembers, hey, you know, my dad treats his slaves better than these pigs. And he goes back home. Remember, his father sees him a long way off, because that's what this story is really about. That story of the prodigal son is the story of the whole Bible. It's the story of sinners who finally wake up in the pig slop and the father throws a big party and kills the fatted calf and there's music and there's dancing and there's a great celebration because the, the boy that was lost has now come home. Remember the older brother comes in from the field and he hears all this music and dancing, all this celebration and what does he do? He hits the fan. Religious people always hit the fan over grace. Because it just destroys their whole system. And remember what he said to his dad? He said, Dad, you never killed the fatted calf for me. He said, I have slaved for you. And I want to ask you this morning, you'll never pray if you're slaving. You'll never learn to pray to the Father if you're slaving. And that's why we're beginning right here. If prayer is just religion to you, and your idea is like, the reason I came to church today is because now God will give me a great week. I did my thing. God, did you notice? Here I am today. You're a slave if you're like that. And that's a tragic relationship. That was the relationship of the older brother. He said, Dad, I have slaved for you. And boy, you can feel the resentment. Some of you are angry with God even this morning. Because your whole relationship with God is based upon being a slave. You work so hard and he's supposed to provide for you. But he doesn't come through. What do I do at Central Methodist Hospital when a neurosurgeon out in the hall said that looks really bad? The brain tumor on the frontal lobe, 99% chance it's malignant. And we'll probably do surgery Monday afternoon. But himself has a melanoma. What do you do with your prayers then? Doesn't look like it's working, does it? I've slaved for you all of these years. I slaved for you all of these years. And look at what it got me, nothing. You know what's wrong with the older brother? It was just religion. It was just serving to get. As I sat down in a room with Bud and Brenda, you know what Bud shared with me? He looked at me and he said, you know, Dave, Jesus said in John chapter 11, He that believeth in me, even though he should die. He said, He that believeth in me, it did, even though he should die, it's not even there. It says, He that believeth in me shall never die. He that believeth in me shall never die, but shall receive eternal life. He said, you know, I never really understood that to the last few months. But now I understand. What it means is that we might lose our physical life, but that's really not what death is about. 
Death is about separation from the Father. Death is about separation from the source of life. And I know from the depths of my being that nothing can separate me from the love of God that I found in Christ Jesus. And we pray for healing. And I believe that God could, could rescue both of them physically. And it needs to be one of the dominant prayers that we have. But I want you to know that we're going to learn to pray in this verse. We are going to learn to pray, give us our daily needs. And part of our daily bread is our health and to pray for healing. That's part of the physical needs that we have. But we also are going to learn to pray, thy will be done. And you see, a relationship of grace means that we've got a daddy in the intensive care ward that we're not bargaining with, but who's crying with us, who's loving with us. And one day, just like the father in the story of the prodigal son, one day, intensive care wards are going to be abolished. And tears of facing death are going to be abolished. Right while I was there, an 18-year-old girl that got hit on Saturday on 67, an 18-wheeler hit an oil slick, the 18-wheeler went out of control, hit a car with two college girls in it, and she was gone. And that neurosurgeon that had to give us the, the serious news about Kay had just walked out of a room like we've walked out of where he had to tell a family, there's nothing, there's no ways, she's gone. And our Heavenly Father comes to us today and he says, there's going to be a celebration. The story of the prodigal son is really a foretaste of eternity. Where all those that come back home, I'm going to kill the fatted calf. And we're going to have the marriage supper of the lamb. And Jesus is going to be the groom and you're going to be the bridegroom. And if you're related to him, you're going to sing forever. But the self-righteous brothers never understand. It's always religion to them. And therefore, they never learn to pray, our daddy who is in heaven. You see, the address starts out not with a relationship. Our master which is in heaven, our boss which is in heaven. It gets rid of all this legal relationship and it begins with a family relationship. That's the meaning of us being together here this morning. It starts out with a family relationship, the most intimate family relationship there is. Our daddy who is in heaven. How do we get so we can say that? Let's put some things together. Jesus is the key to this sonship in God's family. And I really encourage you. In fact, I would encourage you to go through the Gospel of John. The whole Gospel of John is to bring out to you the uniqueness of your Savior. I want you to get a hold of a couple of things. I want you to understand, and as we move into the last days, and I know that I've told you this, but I can see it coming. You know what that joint service they have? You know what? If I would have stood up and if I would have prayed, I would have said, Dear Father, I come to you through the mediation of your Son, Jesus Christ, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and risen. If I would have prayed like that in the public arena, and I've shared this with you years in the past, when you're in the public arena, learn when you're praying to say, and I am praying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Amen. And the sparks will fly. In fact, I want to challenge you to think very hard on this. You need to think very hard because we are moving into a day where you are more and more and more going to hear about 
the great Father, the great God, and all the different ways to get to Him, and how He's within all of us. I mean, it's going to come on, I guarantee you, like the flood. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. He said this, Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the access to the Father. I am the one that draws you near to the Father. I'm the only one that can cause you to be born into the family of God. Look what Jesus had the audacity of saying in John 5, 24. That all may honor the Son. You say, well, Dave, you know, when we're in another context, you know, we need to be more general. We need to be more, you know, talk about God. Look what it says. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted to the Son to have life in himself. And therefore the Son can give life. In that same context of John 5, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said this. Jesus said, all those who are of the Father will come to me. I want you to think very seriously about that idea. Every person that you meet that has authenticity in their life, that's not just camouflaging moral sin and moral problem. Every person that you meet in college that's intellectually wants to know the truth, really wants to know it. It's not just a facial question. It's a hard question that will eventually come to Jesus. That's what John's Gospel claims. Any human being that really wants to know the truth will eventually come to Jesus. All who are of the truth will eventually acknowledge. You say, well, what about the Jews? You know, in the first century, the Jews were the whole foundation of the church. They were Jesus' worst enemies. Pharisees were the ones that push and push with their religious tradition until they got the Romans to crucify them. But you know what? Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were two Sanhedrin Jewish leaders. But you know what? They were men of truth. Nicodemus asked the right questions to the right man and got the right answer. And he becomes a paradigm. He becomes a pattern for every Jewish person you would ever meet, every Islamic person you would ever meet. People that really want to know the truth and they don't harden themselves eventually come to Jesus. How do we come? We'll close with this, Matthew eleven twenty-five. 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. And you know, the only way that you can come to the Father is like a little child just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. We've begun today with a phrase, Our Father who art in heaven. I want every single one of you this week to be able to say that. And I want you to be able to say it from the depths of your being. You're not ever going to be able to say it through religion, by joining this church or by joining another church or by being baptized or by legally trying to perform religious things, good things. You're never going to be able to call God your Father that way. There's only one way. It's not through religious tradition. It's by coming home like the prodigal son. And it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the what? The children of God. And those who become the children of God, John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. Children of God can call God their what? Their daddy. If you become his child, and if you have become his child, 
then you can address God as Father. I would encourage you, start reading through the New Testament and look at the address of God as Father. What have I said this morning? I've said, number one, you'll never address God as Father through religion. Number two, I said, your religious pride and legalism and performance will block you from that intimacy and closeness with the Father. Thirdly, I've said, Jesus is the only anointed one. He's the only Son of God. He is the only one that can give any human being the right to be born into God's family. And fourthly, I've said, how do we come? We've got to come like little children. You've got to humble yourself and say, Lord, here I am. I admit you that I'm in the pit of my sin, and I want to open my heart to receive you. Let's pray. Many of you already are the children of God, so why don't you talk to your daddy in heaven? We're going to begin. Hallowed be thy name. How do we set apart the name of God? What is the name of God? What are all the different names of God in this scripture? How should we address God? Your prayer life will be rich if you learn how to set apart the name of God. This week we begin with family relationship. I want you to thank your daddy in heaven. He's the king of the universe. But by the death of Christ on Calvary, he's become your personal daddy. Which means that you have that kind of access. You have that kind of openness. You can talk over anything you want to talk over with him. Prayer is not a religious performance. It's an intimate communication with the ultimate father. Let's thank him for that. Let's ask the Lord Jesus to protect us from religious formalism that takes us away from that intimacy. Let's ask the Lord to take away the fluff, take away the veneer in our life and help us to really relate to him and therefore relate to one another with real truthfulness and authenticity, with integrity. That's what integrity is, single-heartedness. Father, I would ask you that your spirit would have a very powerful freedom to convict us of sin, to help us to have pure hearts before you, to convict us about apathy. Most of all, Lord, I would pray that as our daddy in heaven, that you would help us to begin to already celebrate your forgiveness and your grace and your acceptance of us, the free gift of eternal life. Lord, I would pray that you would just protect us from allowing the crises of life-threatening situations to snuff out the faith and the joy and the celebration that we can have in Christ.